Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. John 3.16 is a passage that most of us, if you've been around church at all, you've heard. And it's a glorious, encouraging, encapsulating uh, passage. For God so loved the world. God so loved you and me. And for many of us throughout many years in churches, you've heard that message and you've rallied around. It's the sign that is at the end zone of, of many uh, football games where or throughout the years somebody has tried to make sure that that has been known. Uh, Tim Tebow would wear eye black and he would put John 3.16 so often in his eye black. And, and so that verse, that one verse, has been encapsulated to, to amount to the gospel of Jesus, which is totally true, to, totally right. If you're to grab a verse, that would be a great one to grab um, to encapsulate it. The challenge is, is that that's the extent to which many of us have processed that passage. We've, we've, we've um, taken one sentence out of a long letter and we said, well, that sums up everything. So maybe I don't need to understand the rest. The challenge is, is that if you don't understand the rest, you may not understand the full value of that one sentence. If you don't understand what comes before and after, if you don't understand how it works in God's divine plan, if you don't understand the big picture, then you may not have a full grasp. We're in a series called The Trade. And we're talking about the trade, the eternal trade that we make. Uh, Many people are battled and embattled with shame, fear, and guilt. And so we, we believe that God has a different plan for us. We believe that God wants to take your shame, your fear, and your guilt and give you a trade. And His trade rests in those eternal things. And so today, what I want to do is I want to walk you through. As we're, if you haven't been here, you can check out on our, our website the previous messages um, about shame and fear. And this, the, um, Tyrell did a great job with the, the overall trade that God offers you last week. And then this week, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about uh, uh, guilt for grace. Uh, guilt for grace. Guilt is this, this word. Look it up. It says it's a feeling of having done wrong or failed in an obligation. A feeling of having done wrong or failed at an obligation. Many of us, we've all um, had that moment where we felt guilty. And we, we felt guilty because we recognized that we did something wrong. We sat in judgment. When you, when you lay things out, when you look at it clearly, we messed up. Um, we, we either messed up accidentally or we messed up intentionally, but we feel guilty. And what happens is, is that, that that guilt, if it's, if it's in its right context, as we're going to see, if it's in its right context, that's fine. That's a good, helpful emotion. The same way that, that, that fear is a good emotion, if in context. I mean, I, I would say, you've, you guys have seen the meme if, if meme, if you see me running, you should run because something's chasing me. I'm not a runner, right? Like, you've seen that. That, that. that means, hey, if somebody starts running by, it might be good to run with them until you figure it out, okay? It might be, it might be a, a, a dog, um, maybe a tarantula, you know? Maybe a, um, you know, your, your wife telling you to pick up your clothes. I, I don't know. Uh, flashbacks. But, but whatever it might be, there might be some legit reason to have fear. But we would say, hey, no, don't have fear all the time. Um, some, some shame, some behavior that we do, we've lost in our society at this point any kind of idea of, of shameful behavior. Something is, it shouldn't be done. And so we've said, no, 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 that word is banished. That's old. Let's get rid of it. You shouldn't be ashamed of anything. You should just go out there and just treat people how you want and act how you want and mess around, do whatever you want. And nobody should ever be ashamed. 
And that's not exactly true either. There, there's a certain amount of if we're not living up to our own standards and if we're not living up to maybe the, the, the um, more righteous way of, of loving others and caring for others, there's a certain bit that that's, that's actually a good, helpful thing in our mind. Now, do you live under that? No. Do you live under fear every day? No. And so as we approach guilt, it's something that's similar. I think um, the, the fear that I have right now is that we, we certainly don't want anyone to live in guilt if they are in Christ. And we'll talk about that today. But there's also this other side that just says, hey, if, if, I, if I rob from you, wouldn't you like me to feel a little bit guilty? You know, if, if, if I lie to you and I've broken down our trust, I, I, I would think you would say, man, I hope he feels a little bit guilty. I hope he comes back and tells me that he, that he did me wrong and try to make things right. And so what we've done, though, is that we've said, hey, I'm in grace. And because I'm in grace, there is no place for guilt. But then there's also the other. The other is when somebody, um, because of guilt, they begin to live a guilt-ridden life. And they begin to walk around and wallow and all they feel is guilt. And they haven't been able to attain God's grace. And so today what I want to be able to do is to show you that trade. That there is a, a healthy trade. Grace for guilt. But it doesn't mean that we void all forms of guilt. Sometimes it's a good thing. It's, it's similar to your senses when you touch a, a hot stove, that initial pullback saves your life. Um, now, you don't want to run around yanking your body from everything. That'll be weird. But the initial pullback from something hot is a good thing. The initial feeling of, hey, I shouldn't have done that, good thing. Initial sense of, I don't, I don't want to uh, behave that way. I don't want to bring shame to my, my name or my family. Those are all healthy things within context in the right measure. But you don't want to cook with them. You don't want them to be the main ingredient. So the scripture goes in in John 3, 16 and says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is the hope of the gospel. Verse 17, though, is, is um, pretty important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you're jotting notes today, I pray that you write this down. Grace is given, not earned, Jesus Himself is our grace. Grace is given and not earned. You and I, when we think about this idea of guilt or grace, we have to understand that, that grace is something that's given. You can't earn grace. You, you cannot do enough to make it to where grace is owed to you. And, and sometimes people that are around church or in church or, or, or act religious, sometimes they'll just stake a claim. They'll just say, hey, I've been in church since I was this old. Or, or I've been going to this place and I've, I've got this title in a, in a ministry. And what happens is you begin to act like you've earned your grace from God. That God should be grateful that you're on His team. And I don't know if you've ever met people like this, but I just I, I want to get in the flesh and slap them. But because the, the grace that God... That's violent. You shouldn't do that. Shame. So, each one of us, the, the grace that God gives, we have to understand what grace is. Grace just isn't a, a fairy wand that wipes away all of your problems, and then we just go, poof, I, I've got grace. Grace is a gift from our Father in heaven. And that gift, that grace, is the person and work of Jesus over us. We are not owed that. We, we, are not, we are not earning that. That is not something you can be good enough ever for. If you ever believe that you are good enough for grace, you've lost the meaning of grace. We are, we are not 
good enough. I, I don't care the, the, the greatest works of man, the Scripture says in the book of Isaiah, is like menstrual rags waving before the nose of God. The, the greatest works of a man, the greatest works of a woman, to just say, Lord, I am so clean. I am so good. I am so righteous. And you wave that stuff to God, and he says, that's just like a used menstrual rag. That's disgusting to me. Why? Because he wants us to come to him in humility, having received his son, having received grace over us. Grace in and of itself is not earned Grace is not owed. Grace is, you are not good enough for grace. And we never will. For you and I, we have to understand that, that grace is, is, is a gift that we didn't earn that, that overwhelms us with gratitude. I was given a reminder just this week, as um, many of you know, I was traveling this week, and um, my life is one of those that a prophet is. With, uh, not without honor, except for in his hometown. And, and uh, so here, as we're building a church constantly and, and we're doing different things and the ministries are smaller, and then I go and I travel down to, to the south. Down in the south, the churches that I get to speak at are, are insane in terms of multiple thousands of people. And so I'm always overwhelmed when I go. And I was blessed. There was uh, five other preachers and we spent a week just really preaching the word around the theme of hope. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I, I came back completely fooled, or completely full, completely loved, completely um, just overwhelming um, sense of gratitude for God. And as someone who pours out my life all the time, it is extremely healthy to you and to me that I get away and hear from some other preachers because um, I need my cup poured into. And so that's kind of what this week was for me. I, I, I preached and that was great and had a good time, but what was really beneficial was to hear five other preachers preach four different sermons apiece. So um, that was beneficial for me. But in all of that, I get back. My, my flight coming back from Georgia was, um, I had to, to be on my plane at 5 a.m. And so the night before, it was like the goodbye night where everybody's shaking hands and hugging and all that stuff. So you end up not having very much sleep at all. And uh, so I get back, and as I was down there, um, I remember Dr. Cat, my mentor, he was telling the other guys, he was like, Tolly, you need to go to Baltimore. Tolly's going to take you to this restaurant where if you just check in on Facebook, like they bring a jar of bacon. Like that was, that was this big deal. Like he was, he was like, guys, gather around. <laughs> they bring bacon. And I was, like, I was like, yeah, I was like, that's Iron Rooster. And so like for the next three days, guess what I kept thinking about coming home to Baltimore? I was like, I'm going to Iron Rooster. I'm like, I'm getting me some bacon. And so, so I, I get off the plane and I, and I, I was down at uh, you know, BWI. I drive around and the whole time, 45 minutes or so, I'm, I'm thinking, about, thinking about bacon, bacon, bacon. And so I, I get up to, uh, to, to the Iron Rooster. I go in, I sit down. There's hardly anybody in my area, my section. It's just before lunch. And, uh, and sure enough, get my, get my stuff started, get my coffee and all. Well, then uh, for like 25 minutes goes by after I've turned in my order. And like nothing, like I just felt like I, I had leprosy. I, 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 nobody's around. And so then uh, more time goes and I'm looking for my waitress. And, and uh, so finally I, I catch her eye and it's almost 40 minutes in since I placed my order. And I'm just like, there's hardly, like I was here first. Like, what's the deal? And uh, she's like, hey, sorry about that. Uh, manager's going to be over. And I was like, okay. So I wait for the manager. Manager comes over 
And he's like, you know, I'm really sorry. It got mixed up back there in the back. Now here, here was I. Here's the spiritual giant. Right? You would think I was just, oh, it's okay. The sound of music starts playing behind my... Like, no, I was just like, I, I said, I said, it, I said, sir, I said, is this how you operate your establishment? <laughs> he said, no, sir. He said, we're going to take care of your meal. He said, uh, I'm going to have it right out. And so sure enough, he brings it right out. It was cool. And uh, now that I had the explanation, I understood that the waitress really wasn't involved. Like she, she, sometimes I was a waiter. It was my first job when I was 15. So I had recollection, like, uh, don't be a jerk. So so then uh, my meal was, was uh, now paid for. So at the end, I go and I said, um, I said uh, hey, she was walking by in, in a hurry. And, and I said, hey, I said, I, I know I don't have a bill, but can you, can you, uh, can you break it, break a, can you make change for me? And uh, she said, yes, sir, I'll be right back. Let me finish over here once again. <laughs> and so I was like, cool. And, uh, but I, I really genuinely sensed, like, um, having been away, having already they've taken care of, they did the best, it had nothing to do with her. But I could sense that like she had this sense of guilt. Like this is a table I let down. This guy is hungry, he's upset, um, you know, disappointed. He really was in here first before we filled up around him. And so she, you could, I could have this sense. And so I just really felt like the Lord said, um, just pay, give her everything that you would have spent today. And um, so it would have been about 20 bucks. And so... Um, so I did. I, I gave her my card and I said, hey, um, listen, I want you to know something. I've messed up plenty in my life. And I said, the, the one thing that gives me joy is to know um, God's grace over me. And I want to give you um, this and understand that this time tears are forming. And um, I said, I, I just want you to know that um, grace is alive and real. And, and thank you so much. It had nothing to do with you. And uh, so, so she, she did, and she said, can I hug you? <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, yeah, so, so if there's a picture that gets on the internet, you know, <laughs> pastor <laughs> hugging random waitress, uh, then that, that, that's what went down. But, but in all of that, what is it? The feeling of, of grace, the feeling of, hey, I blew it, and yet you're, you're willing to give me a tip. Um, that's news for all of us. Just by the way, as an aside, uh, I try to tell that story as honestly as I can because I don't want you to think the story isn't about me at all. The story is about in spite of how I feel when you, when you act generous and kind and you give grace um, that's already been extended to you, it has a profound benefit on the other person. And so you and I, when we think about God, when we think about our relationship with God, we have to start with the fact that grace is not earned. Grace is a gift and the gift is Jesus. John Piper said it this way, my dad always told me that in his work as an evangelist, the big problem is not getting people saved, but getting them lost. My dad told me as in a work, and his work as an evangelist, the problem wasn't getting people saved. The problem was getting them lost. What does he mean? He means that many people if you don't understand the weight of what you are saved from, you will accept a religion, you will accept a group of principles without ever understanding the depth of what you needed to be saved from. And so this is why people can grow up in church, having made professions, having gone forward, having been a part, but then they get later in life and they go, I don't believe any of that. 
Why? Because they were never fully in need of salvation. Their, their motives were something else. Their motives were to fit in with culture or to fit in with family or something. But they didn't understand that they needed God's grace. And if you don't understand that you need God's grace, you won't see it as something to be had. Some of us need to grow by understanding guilt. Some of us need to grow by understanding grace. Feeling guilty before I've made things right with someone, that is good and right. Feeling guilty after an issue has been settled, well, that's unhealthy. If you're feeling guilty because you just lied to someone, it's not the same as to feel guilty after you've confessed, repented, and already received forgiveness for that lie you told a year ago. The modern church is throwing out the entire idea of guilt, and that's unhealthy. It's, it's just as unhealthy as throwing out warning signs that God gave you like anger. There is a healthy place for anger. We don't live in anger, but in the right context, it is good. Injustice should make us angry. Injustice should make us angry. Lying should make you feel some guilt. Otherwise, you don't understand what you needed to be saved from. And so when we throw out the entire word, when we say, I'm going to get rid of all guilt, I'm not going to be guilty about anything, I'm not going to feel guilty ever, and you make that your rallying cry, what you're doing is you're disposing of the need for salvation over your life. Because if I don't, need to, if I don't ever have done anything wrong to where I, I, I should feel bad, then why do I need grace? Why do I need forgiveness? I mean, I'm at the top of the heap of humans. If God's going to reach down and grab some good humans, man, he should just grab a hold of me. I don't need God. And that is the dangerous part. That's the dangerous shadow side of dropping guilt from our vocabulary. There is a moderate amount of guilt that is useful for us to understand that, wow, I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. And if you can't get to the point where you say those two things, I'm not sure, genuinely, if you understand the human experience. All of us, all of us, the Scripture says, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, including your pastor, are broken human beings in need of a Savior. And the only way that we can be made right with God is by His generous grace flowing into our lives. And that grace is named Jesus. Then the verse goes on and explains this further. I want you to understand the two. I don't want you to live in guilt at all. I want you to live in grace, but I don't want you to dump the word guilt. If, if, there, if there are some times when you feel guilty, man, em, embrace it. Just say, Lord, I, I need to understand. Am I feeling guilty about something that I've just recently done that needs to be confessed to you and confessed to others? Or am I, am I um, owning some, some kind of guilt from my childhood or something a long time ago that really should be cleansed out of my soul by now? And, and understanding that difference is going to help you in your walk. But when you live in grace, Grace, it's not that you dump all idea of guilt. It's just that you don't feel guilty about stuff that Jesus has already died for. When we feel a little bit of that tinge of guilt, don't, don't uh, run from it. Lean into it and then find out, is this something that I need the grace to cover or is it something I need to um, repent and work through? Whoever believes, it goes on, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Some of your translations might say stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Write this down if you're jotting notes today. Guilt is not a feeling, but a fact. Guilt is not a feeling, 
but a fact. You see, guilt or innocent has to do with judgment. Guilt or innocent has to do with, did you commit the crime? Did you do what it is that someone said about you? Guilt or innocence is not a feeling. Now, when we feel guilty, that means that, that our minds and our souls and our consciousness are screaming out, you did what you're accused of. You did what the enemy. The Scripture says that the picture that is painted is that Satan is the accuser. That Satan stands before God and says, Tully did that and Tully did that. And if you want an example, go look at the story of Job. He stands there and just says, you know what? Tully's not all that. Tully's not all that. And so the accuser stands there. Now the Scripture says that you and I need a defense attorney. You and I need an advocate before the Father. And Jesus stands up if you've accepted Christ the same way as that if you have uh, hired a defense attorney. When you stand before a judge, they say, do you have any representation? And it is you who has to say, this is my representation. My representation in this matter is Jesus. And Jesus will defend me. And so Jesus stands, and the scripture, the, the metaphor that is given, the picture of, of scripture is given, that Jesus stands up and he says, your honor, my father, I represent Tolly. And I will defend him from the accuser. But the picture that we have is that, you know, when we stand before God, we all have the accuser. But we all don't have the defense attorney. We all don't have an advocate before the Father. And you say, well, I'll just advocate for myself. No. Even in our human court system, there's, there's an expression called passing the bar. Because the idea is that, that to go before the court, there is literally a bar. And you can't step in front of that bar unless you are authorized to do so. Jesus is the only one authorized to stand before the Father and say, no, He's with me. You and I, what do we bring? I'm bringing all my sin baggage. Jesus is pure. He has a right to tell the Father, no, I am standing for Tali. So it says, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Guilt is not a feeling, but a fact. So being guilty is a statement of fact. The evidence points to whether or not we are guilty. Feelings become irrelevant. We've so reduced this idea of guilt into just a bad feeling because of the weight of sin. And when we've done that, then the weight of sin itself doesn't hold any value at all. We move on in verse 19. And this is the judgment. So we have, we have guilty, we have proceeding, court proceeding. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their words were evil. When we reduce the weight of guilt, we reduce the weight of grace. When we reduce the weight of guilt, we reduce the weight of grace. The Scripture says the judgment is that the light is coming to the world. Jesus is coming to the world. But people love darkness rather than the light. When you feel a sense of guilt, what you're feeling inside is that do I, do I love the very thing that Jesus had to die for? Do, do, I, do I love my pride? Do I, do I love lust? Do I love deceit? Do I love the very thing that Jesus died for? And so when the Spirit of God cries out in conviction and says, Tali, you are chasing down the pariah 
of my Savior. You, you, are, you are disposing of the name of Jesus in your life, and then you feel that weight of guilt. Oh, yes, I am. The answer is to not dismiss out of hand the idea that you feel bad. The answer is to understand, what am I going to do now that I know that I am guilty? It's not a feeling, it's a fact. And the Scripture gives us clearly what we do. What we do is we repent. What we do is we confess our sin. What we do is we, we say, Lord, you are right. I want to stand in your grace. And standing in your grace isn't cheap grace. As Bonhoeffer, if you want an intellectual book to read on the subject, go read Bonhoeffer. When you, you don't want cheap grace. You don't want a grace that you just use as a disposable rag. You, you want grace that abounds and grace that is strong enough to say, Lord, I don't want to live in sin and misrepresent your name. I don't want to run around and, and, and live as though I was in the dark. I want to stand in the light. And I want my life to matter. And I want to, to reflect the goodness and the glory of God. And so it's not an issue about whether or not you stand guilty. You may not stand guilty before the Father. Jesus has already saved you, forgiven you, set you free. But the question question remains, is there any place at all for any type of guilt? Yeah, it's a repenting type of guilt. It's a feeling of, hey, Lord, I stand guilty on this. And you know what it does? Here's what it does to the Christian who loves the Lord. Here's what it does for you. It should not cause you to run and hide the rest of your life. It should not cause you to be Eeyore and think terribly about yourself. It should not send you into a tailspin of depression. What it should do is cause you to say, oh, Lord, I need you. It's a reminder today that I need you again. And so you have, a, you have an argument with your spouse or your roommate or your neighbor and you just go, Lord, I stand guilty. I'm wrong. I'm not going to run into the... I'm just going to stand in grace. And inside of grace, you've said, confess. And so, Lord, I'm just confessing. I'm still human. I'm still in a work in progress. And I still need you. And here's what it does, church. Here's what it does. It, it reunites you to your salvation. It's a touchstone. It allows you to get back and to grab a hold of your salvation again and again and again. But if you don't do that, salvation becomes this distant moment in your life where at one time I was saved and so I'm settled and you just drift and you drift and you drift. And without anything to draw you back, then salvation becomes a relic. And you don't live in light of this glorious salvation. You begin to live and just say, well, I checked that box when I was nine, thank you. And God desires for you to come close to His Son. And coming close to His Son is when I feel that sense and that weight of, Lord, I, this isn't how you've called me to live, then I will turn and repent and run back and say, I need to cling to my salvation because my salvation, just like the movie Titanic with the board, the door, my salvation is in that door. And if she would have just let him on, it is statistically proven he would have lived. But my salvation is Jesus. My grace is Jesus. And so if I feel the weight of some guilt out here, I don't need to go depressed. I don't need to go hide. I don't need to go run. I don't need to go call and write everybody I've ever known and tell them how terrible I am. No, no, no. That should be the thing that prompts me to grab a hold of Jesus again. And what happens is, the closer you are to the Lord, and the more times you are in front of Him, the more times you are humble before Him, the more times you are waking up early and open up His Word, the more times that you are, you are 
entertaining him. Many of us, we put dumb stuff on our schedules. We, we, we will put, we will put um, TV shows. I will grab my phone and I'll be like, the UFC has a, uh, an event with Conor McGregor coming up at 5 p.m. You, you better watch that, Tolly. And I'll put that on my phone. I'll go through my, my wife and I, we share a family calendar, and I'll be like, oh, Christy has a nail appointment. Like, we'll put stuff and block out schedule. But then when somebody asks, like, hey, how's your, how, are you, how are you doing studying the scriptures? I don't, you know, I'm, it's been a long time. Like, I just, I feel like I'm so rushed. I just don't have time. I mean, I got these kids and I got all this other stuff. It's like, awesome. Do you, do you feed those kids? Well, well, yeah, of course. Like, they need, okay. So I'm sure like, you have a routine and you have a schedule and you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they would die without it. Yeah, our soul dies without being connected to the Lord. Schedule it. Find touchstones. Find points. Don't let it be just when you're overwhelmed with guilt that you begin to run to the darkness or feel like you're too far away from Jesus to ever come back. We elevate grace by understanding that it, that it, um, it wipes away the judgment of guilt. But, but guilt itself actually draws us back to God's grace. If you have nothing that you need to repent from, then what good is grace to you? If you don't have a practice of confession and repentance, then what good is grace to you? And I'm not judging, I'm not hurting you, I'm not trying to upset you, but... Um, you could probably ask somebody close to you, hey, am I perfect? I don't want you to feel like your pastor's putting you down. I'm just saying, grab that BFF and just be like, hey, I've had this thing going. I kind of feel perfect. <laughs> kind of. I mean, I look in the mirror, I'm like, dang, you're good. I think about how smart I am. I mean, you're smart. I like me. You should like me. But if you want a reason to hold on to Jesus, just grab that person that loves you most and say, am I perfect? No. You're really not. <laughs> You're really not. Let's close with this. Verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't want to come to the light, lest his works shall be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel grace. But you can only feel the beauty of grace after you have felt the burden of guilt. God doesn't want you to walk around feeling guilty. He wants you to walk around feeling grace. But my friends, the only way you can dive into His glorious grace is if you allow yourself to be pricked in the Spirit with a little bit of guilt. Because the more I can understand that I don't align with Jesus, the more it draws me by His grace to align with Him. And so if you felt distant from God, your problem, my friends, is not that somebody's making you feel too guilty. If you're distant from God, there's a great chance your problem is you don't really think you have a reason to repent from a whole, uh, an almighty, holy, perfect God. And as a result, you've created your own little Godhead over here. And church is good for those people because they need it. The Bible's good for those people. Praying is good for those people. Because I am the master of my domain. No, you're not. 
You're a loser. You're a loser. God created it all. You don't speak jack into existence. Well, but look at what I can make. Yeah, with his stuff. With his stuff. Anything you're ever going to make, it's, you're using God's stuff. He created it all. Speak something into existence. Like, we've we've got to get back and understand that God wants you to be overwhelmed with his glorious grace. But to get there, he may need to poke you and just remind you, you're not perfect today, Tolly. And that feeling, that feeling of being outside of his will, that feeling of hurting other people, that feeling of not being perfect, that feeling of needing Jesus may feel like guilt. But guilt itself is not a feeling. Guilt is a position of judgment. You are guilty or not guilty. The Christian is called to live in the light, free from guilt, and under God's grace. The Christian is called to live in the light, free from guilt, under God's grace. I don't want you to mistake me and walk out of this room saying, well, the pastor wants me to just feel guilty. No. I want you to feel grace. I want you to feel forgiven. But there is a difference between a person who feels like I never needed to go in the courtroom to begin with or the person who understands the gravity of I failed, but God gave me grace. Some of us believe that guilt means that I am drawn into a courtroom all the time. No. The Scripture says that you and I, apart from Jesus, Jesus didn't need to come. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. That's awesome. Go Jesus. Non-condemning Jesus. Awesome loving Jesus. Dancing through sunflower seeds. Jesus. Or, no, He came to rescue you because you didn't realize you were drowning. He didn't need to drown you. You were doing that on your own. You stand, I stand, apart from Jesus, condemned already. He doesn't need to come and add judgment. Jesus is not judgmental. Yeah. Because Jesus saw that you were already judged. Jesus saw that I was already in need. He didn't need to repeat himself. He came to provide the salvation out of that. And you and I, you and I will fully understand grace when we realize that guilt is a judgment. The feeling that I'm going back into that behavior is simply there to pull me back to grace. But if you never think that you do anything wrong, then you never think that you need grace. And when you think you have no need for grace, you begin to act a lot more arrogant than you really should. Because my friends, everybody on this planet will stand before God one day and it will not be how do you feel. It will be what did you do with Jesus. Jesus is God's own Son. He's fully God, fully man. And because of that, He's the one and only atoning sacrifice. He voluntarily died on the cross to give new life to anyone who would confess His name and receive Him for salvation. 
to those that have trusted Him for salvation. He left the Holy Spirit to seal our hearts. He has blood-bought you, sealed you up. And as you live as a sealed-up child of God, blood-bought before Jesus, grace-filled believer, from time to time, you may be in need of grace. And the way that you're reminded is a sense of guilt. Don't push away that. Run back to Jesus' arms. He loves you. He wants you. He wants you to bask in His glory and His goodness and His grace every day. He wants you to live with your chin up, but He also wants you to live in the light where you've got nothing to worry about. If you find yourself in darkness, don't get depressed. Just run back to Jesus and He stands eagerly as the good Father at the edge of the field in the prodigal son waiting for you to come home. Let your guilt drive you to grace. Don't let your guilt push you away from grace.